This morning, our scripture reading will be from Isaiah 59, verses 15 through 20. Bibles in the Pew Bible there in front of you. It'll be located on page 657. That is Isaiah chapter 59, verse 15 through 20. I will be reading from the New King James Version. So truth fails, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. Then the Lord saw it, and it displeased him. There was that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his own arm brought salvation for him, and his own righteousness it sustained him. For he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vigilance for his clothing and was clad with zeal as a cloak. According to their deeds, accordingly he will repay. Fury for his adversary, recompense for his enemy, the coastlines will fully repay. So shall they hear the name of the Lord from the west and the glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. The Redeemer will come to Zion and to those who turn from transgression in Jacob, says the Lord. good to see each of you. If you're our guest this morning, we welcome you again. It encourages us that you're here, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. We want to invite you to stay for our Bible classes that will follow this worship service, begin at 9.15 and conclude at 10 o'clock. You're invited to any of the classes. We want to tell you especially about a Bible class that will begin this morning. It's a class for visitors. It'll be the theme will be getting connected, and we want to help you find your place and your way to get connected in the life of this congregation. Uh, most importantly, get connected in a relationship with God if you're not already there. But it'll be a six to eight week course where we will think about our relationship with the Lord, with His Word, and with His church. And we'll talk about ways that the Scriptures teaches that, of course, but also ways that we can do that right here in the life of this congregation. That is in room 303. If you go out uh, to my left here, the education wing is just across the foyer and go up one flight of stairs and it's on the left, room 303. We'd love to have you and be a part of that class. Happy Independence Day weekend. What a debt we owe to God to bless us with 232 years as a nation of such great blessings. 
And when we consider the freedom that we enjoy and the cost that was paid, the price that was paid for us to enjoy this freedom, this weekend ought to have been a time of reflection in all of our minds. This next slide, you see what is considered one of the most memorable photographs in all of U.S. history. It's raising the flag at Iwo Jima. Now, as we consider this, I think about the fact that 406,000 men gave their lives in World War II alone. It's estimated that 183,000 children were left as orphans because of this great conflict. Now, the freedom that you and I enjoy and many blessings even around the world as a result of the sacrifice of these men, we ought to hold dear. As we think about the black sands that on Iwo Jima, and we think about the men that stormed that area, there were many tunnels and foxholes. Those that were flying overhead said it looked like the men were fighting the ground itself. This past weekend, I enjoyed seeing a movie that perhaps many of you have seen. It's been out for several years. The League of Grateful Sons. I encourage you to see it if you haven't. You see, back about three years ago, when this would have been a 60th anniversary, because at least it's estimated that a thousand World War II veterans are dying each day, many individuals said, it's time for us to give them another form of honor but also remember what they have done for us. And so a group gathered together 87 men that had been on the beaches of Iwo Jima and flew them, their sons, and their grandsons back. For the first time in 60 years, they walked that black sand. And as individuals, some of them being carried, one individual, he was a colonel, and his name... His name was Colonel Bill Henderson. And as Bill Henderson was carried in a wheelchair by four Marines with his sons and grandsons following along, it recorded many of the stories and many of the occasions. What was interesting, but yet no surprise, none of these men would allow anyone to refer to them as heroes. They continually referred to the ones that stayed there, that gave their life there, that gave it all there, Those were the only heroes in their book. And as this man sat there upon a hillside, and he began to point, and and he showed his son and his grandson, he said, over there is where we stormed the beach. And this man was involved in all 36 days of battle. And then he he looked over and he said, over there was my foxhole. And then he talked about where some of his buddies had passed away by his side over here. And then he motioned in another direction. He said, over here was my tent. And then he mentioned, one night I went back and I found that I was the only one in all of my tent that was still alive. What a debt we owe. When we think of freedom, we think of the price that was paid. When we think about war, we think about the fact, the sobering fact, that there is an enemy of America And ever since our existence, there have been those that have wanted to take the freedom of America out of existence. And so we think about the debt that we owe to God for protecting us. But then we also think about the debt that we owe to many soldiers who God has used. Brave and courageous soldiers 
Isaiah. Isaiah knew of a soldier. He knew of a time of war and he knew of a soldier that would be the only soldier that could ever lend the help that his nation needed. You see, Isaiah prophesied to the southern kingdom at the time that the northern kingdom was, would be overtaken by Assyria. And so he was pleading and referring to warfare. It's almost as if he were saying, just look up to the north of us. You see what's happening. You see what did happen. That's what's going to happen to us. And it seemed as if no one wanted to listen. It's almost as if no one cared. Look with me, if you will, to Isaiah, the 59th chapter. And notice what he says in the first four verses as he shows us a nation that was losing their way. Isaiah, the 59th chapter, the first four verses. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor is his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Pause there for just a moment. This nation is falling apart. It's literally going to be overtaken by an enemy. Now the question is, what is the problem? Can God not hear any longer that these people need God? Can God's hand not reach down and save any longer? God's hand had protected them all this while. As a matter of fact, it was God's hand that actually gave them the nation itself. What's wrong with God's hand now? And Isaiah is, is pulling the barriers that are blocking their vision and saying, lift up your eyes and look. It's sin. It's sin that's separating you from God. God will never hear us as long as we live like this. God will never be able to save us as long as we keep this barrier between us and God. And then he describes, picturesque here. Look, if you will, in verse 3. This is how he describes the state of their nation. For your hands are defiled with blood, your fingers with iniquity, your lips have spoken lies, your tongue has muttered perversity. No one calls for justice, nor does any plead for truth. They trust in empty words and speak lies. They conceive evil and bring forth iniquity. He speaks about bloody hands. He speaks about sinful fingers. He speaks about lying lips. And we think about murder. We think about abortion. And we think about the blood and that is on the hands of our nation. Since 1973, there's been an estimated average of about a million abortions every year. Now, when we think of this, it is staggering to me. I still can't comprehend the fact that we live in a, quote, civilized nation but yet abortion is legal and it is so prevalent. Now, it is not a surprise that it is a human desire to take others' lives. As a matter of fact, when we go back in the very beginning of the Bible, the very first family that ever lived, Cain desired and did take the life of his brother in Genesis, the fourth chapter. And when God came to question him about it, remember... He had blood on his hands, but he wanted no responsibility. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord's answer to him in verse 10 is that I hear the blood of your brother crying forth from the ground. Can you imagine the cries that God hears from the blood of all of the infants crying from dumpsters across America and has been for decades 
Psalms 127, verse 3 and 4 speak of the worth of a child and says that the fruit of the womb is a reward from the Lord. Let that sink in. The fruit of the womb is a reward from the Lord. Why do we not consider it a reward today? Why is it a choice as to whether or not we will take the life of that fruit or will allow the life to be born? How do we think as a nation we have that right? Friends, there's no way to justify it. There's no way to explain it. But to say, as a nation, we have blood on our hands. Do you recognize Samuel? It's Samuel Armist. Now, you may say, I don't think I recognize him, but you see that little hand sticking out there? You do recognize him. You see, if I show you this next slide, you recognize him well. You see, when he was 21 weeks of age in his mother's womb, he had a spine surgery performed by Vanderbilt doctors. And during this surgery, because the rarity of the surgery, USA Today was invited to come in and bring a photographer and do a report about this. And it was during this that the photographer assures that there was no photoshopping going on and all of the surgeons and doctors and nurses involved assure that what we see in this picture is exactly what happened. That while he was performing this surgery, little Samuel reached out of his mother's womb and grabbed the surgeon's finger. What kind of being is that? We don't have to argue now. We know so much about science. We know that it's alive. And we know abortion takes the life. But some try to foolishly say it's not a baby. Well, what is it then? It's a being. And it's alive. Is it an elephant? A chicken? What kind of being is it? A human being? It's a growing, living human being that in America we're perfectly fine as a nation to say, you have the choice right now whether or not to take the life of that human being or to allow that human being to live. This next slide is absolutely amazing how it was reported recently in our secular news, Finley Crampton. You see, Finley's not supposed to be here. Finley, as a matter of fact, Finley's parents, the mother wrote a very nasty letter back to the hospital because after her abortion, she thought she had, several weeks later, she felt something fluttering in her stomach and took a pregnancy test and found out that her abortion had failed. She wrote in anger to the hospital, but yet after Finley was born, now the article says her anger was turned to delight. Isn't that amazing that we have reached a point as a civilization that we can just openly talk about a mother holding a baby and now the mother is praised for a human interest story. Isn't it interesting that she was mad because this life was not taken, but now that she sees how precious it is, and by the way, doesn't have the kidney disease that she thought that the baby would have. The secular history 
promotes all of this as a very positive thing. What a turn of events. Where is the outcry that says, you have blood on your hands. You're guilty. And the shame is you're guilty of a sin, but in America you're not guilty of a crime. Let us never confuse the highest power. Let us never forget that it's God who reigns. And nations who turn their back on God, God stops protecting. As we consider the rest of verse 3, where he spoke of the lips that lie and the tongues that, mut- that mutters perversity and one calls for justice and, and nor does anyone or no one calls for justice and no one pleads truth. It is amazing when you think about the point we have reached in America where we, and I'm not saying us in this room, I hope not us in this room, But as a civilization, we give very little merit to whether or not someone is telling us a truth or a lie. Can you imagine today in a third or fourth grade classroom if the the teacher thinks that a child is lying to them, the average teacher would probably pass it off because they probably believe that the average child lies to them on a regular basis? Can you imagine back in, say, the 40s or the 50s? Can you imagine how that would have been handled? Because after all, we do not tolerate lies. We were a nation at that time that where truth was much greater esteem than what it is today. Here are a few statistics from just various surveys. I'm not suggesting to you these are all accurate. I'm simply saying, or asking, do they reflect? There are actual studies that were done. Do they reflect the way our nation views truth versus lies? It has been said that college students, as a result of survey, They say that they lie to their mothers in 50% of their conversations. 10 million people are estimated to lie to the IRS each year. 87% were found lying on resumes in a particular study. 70% of all doctors lie to insurance companies. In one survey, they found that 100% of dating couples surveyed lied to each other regularly. 20 to 30 percent of middle managers surveyed written fraudulent internal reports. 95 percent of participating college students surveyed said they were willing to tell at least one lie to a potential employer to win a job. And 41 percent surveyed had said they had already done so in the past. Where is the value on truth? Where are the individuals that say this can't be? It doesn't matter if it's accepted, it's not right. What is the punishment in your family if you still have children at home? What is the punishment for lying? Is it mild or minor because after all it's something everybody does? Or do you esteem truth highly in your family? You see, this bleeds over into everything into our society where politicians, we expect to lie to us, but we shouldn't be so hypocritical that we point a finger at the politicians and say and question, are you telling us the truth? Are you telling us a lie? When as a society, that's how we've raised our children. 
As a society, that's how we've conducted business. Why should someone all of a sudden rise to an office of authority and then decide to do something completely different from the society they live in? We have to decide as Christians, will we stand with the world or will we stand on another side? You see, I suggest to you that the world has always had blood on their hands. I suggest to you that the world has always lied and never valued the truth. Now what we have to decide, are we going to love the world and the things of the world, or are we going to stand apart from the world and be different from the world? As we think about the following verses, I'm not going to take the time to read in verse 5, but he talks about hatching out vipers' eggs and, and weaving the spider's web. You know, we sometimes talk about how tangled we get our life. Oh, the web that we weave. How does that happen? How, how does it happen? How, how does it happen when you sit down and, and you talk to a young adult and they say, oh, my life's in a mess. I'm, I'm living with this woman and I used to live with her sister and, and now the whole family's in a feud and I just don't understand why everybody can't be happy. You ever heard people talk like that? Where they describe sin after sin after sin and then they can't figure out why their life is in a mess? You know why that happens? Because there's no value on truth. Well, I, I don't understand it. I, I, I just told this lie. I just changed these numbers a little bit. I don't understand now why I'm losing my job. Well, maybe someone you're interacting with is placing a value on truth and you didn't place a value on truth. As we consider this, I'd like for you to drop down, if you have your Bible open, to Isaiah the uh, 59th chapter. Same chapter. He's going to start confessing their sins for them. And he does that beginning at verse 9. For time's sake, I want us to look at verse 14 and 15. And this right here, we have some of the characteristics of Christianity personified. And it is absolutely amazing how some things haven't changed. Here Isaiah is pleading with a nation. And this could be you and I standing and making the same plea to our nation. He says in beginning of verse 14, listen to this personification. Now, as we do this, I tell you what, just to paint the picture, will you go ahead and advance one slide real quick? I want you to picture that busy street. As we read this, I want you to picture Isaiah saying, I want to show you a busy street where some things just aren't allowed to pass through. Now let's back up and read this. Look at verse 14. Justice is turned back. Righteousness stands afar off. For the truth is fallen in the street. And equity or integrity cannot enter. So truth fails, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. Can you picture what he's saying here? He's saying, look, we're living in this busy street called life as a world, as a nation of people. And justice comes along in town. And justice says, hey, those who are committing crime ought to be punished. Those who are shedding blood, they need to stop shedding blood, and we need to hold them accountable. And all of a sudden says, whoa, 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 justice you're not welcomed in this civilization. Justice, you can just turn around and you can walk away. And he says, but wait a minute. If you'll just listen to my partner, righteousness, he can tell you what is right, absolutely right, every time. Just listen to him. And they say, whoa, righteousness, we want you to stand afar off. You see that, that mountain way over there? That's close enough. We don't want you to get any closer to us than this. Truth. Truth tries to sneak its way into the street. And they slay it and it's fallen in the street. Equity, that of integrity. Individuals that morally and spiritually they're whole 
They're barred. They're met at the entrance of the city and they're turned away. And anyone in the city that tries to leave that life and live the life of justice and righteousness and truth and equity, those individuals become prey. What's the answer? Listen to the rest of this as we start bringing this to a close. Read with me, if you will, beginning at verse 16. I'm going to read the last two phrases in 15, but notice 16. He says, Then the Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. You see what he's doing? Isaiah's painting the picture to help us understand how it is. He's painting the picture as if God's looking around and saying, Okay, the world needs somebody. Who will be the man that will step up and save the world? Who will be the intercessor to step between God who's going to bring his vengeance and this world that's so wicked? And God looked around and he drew the conclusion. There's no human being that can do this. So let's read on. What what is God going to do since there's no human being? The rest 16. Therefore his own arm brought salvation for him and his own righteousness, it sustained him. For he put on righteousness as a breastplate. Is this sounding like a passage in the New Testament? And a helmet of salvation on his head. And he put on the garments of vengeance for clothing. And he was clad with zeal as a cloak. According to their deeds, according he will repay. Fury to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies. The coastlands he will fully repay. Friends, God has been described in many, many ways in the Scriptures. As a matter of fact, we could just mention a few. God's been described as a father. He's been described as a shepherd. Let's advance one slide. He's been described as a creator. He's been described as faithful, infinite, invisible, jealous, judge, holy, just, king, love, wise, merciful, long-suffering, omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient, pre- perfect, comforter, savior, providential, good, righteous, external, truthful, unsearchable, and the list could go on and on. But did you know that God himself has been described as a soldier? That's what Isaiah is speaking of here. He says, look, we've tried to pass justice through the streets. They wouldn't have it. He's tried to pass truth through the streets and they slew it. He's tried to have integrity to walk through the streets and it was barred. And so now we cry out, what are we going to do? And God says, I'm a mighty soldier. God came to this earth, John 1 and 14, and became flesh. When Jesus Christ came to this earth, He came to fight Satan. And when He died on the cross, three days later, His resurrection was the victory cry. You see, that's why before His birth, it was prophesied. Look at the next slide. It was prophesied in Matthew, the first chapter in 21, that she would bring forth a child and you shall call His name Jesus. Notice this. For He shall save His people from their sins. And so Jesus came and He was victorious. And now we read passages like Ephesians 6, which no doubt Paul had to have this in Isaiah on his mind. Or another passage like it in Jeremiah on his mind when he wrote Ephesians 6. You see verse 11 there on the slide. I want to read to you verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And then he talks about putting on the helmet of salvation and the breastplate of righteousness and the sword of the Spirit and the belt of truth and the feet shod with the preparation of the gospel and then pray. But now notice, he doesn't say put these on so you can go through the streets and you can conquer everything. 
All of it's been conquered. Jesus has already won the victory. We put all this on to show what side we're on. We put all this on to serve the Lord. We put all this on because we want to draw strength from the one who has already won. You see, what we need to do is make sure that we don't lose our way like Israel, like Judah lost their way. We need to make sure that we join forces with the almighty soldier who's already won. Friends, I want to urge you, keep in mind, if we're on the Lord's side, we've already won. We're not painting a picture of doom and gloom and look how horrible it is. We've already won. But now here's the question that I need to ask myself. Whose side am I on? Am I on the Lord's side? Have I put on the armor so I can stand? Am I standing separate from the world? This morning, are you saved? Have you made that commitment to leave the world? That's repentance because you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and and you're willing to make that turn and that change in your life. But we still have to do something with that sin, Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, that separates us. And God's grace will take care of that if we respond to His grace. And what He asks us to do is, as a believer, repent, be willing to confess, not be ashamed, and be baptized into Christ for the remission of those sins. That removes the guilt of that sin so that His hand can save and His ear can hear. If you haven't done that, why not? Why not join sides with the one who has loved you so much He gave His life and the one who's won the victory? Maybe you've been baptized into Christ and along the way you've lost the way and you'd like to come back this morning and confess sin and pray forgiveness. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand as we sing.